and welcome to this Linklater's podcast on payments regulation. After a short break, I'm delighted to be joined on the line once again by three of our payments regulation experts. Harry Edis. Hello. Gene Price. Hello. And Paul Harris. Hello. Later on, we'll be running through some recent announcements of big initiatives that will be of interest to the payment sector. But before then, let's return to Brexit. We talked about Brexit in the podcast at the start of the year. Paul, I'll ask you the same question that I asked you back then. Where are we now and what happens next? Thanks, Simon. So, the UK officially left the EU at the end of January, but it then immediately entered into a transition period. And the way that the transition period works has meant that actually in practice, nothing has really changed in the nine months or so since exit day. But this transition period comes to an end at the end of this year, And it's at that point that the impact of Brexit will definitely start to be felt, at least from a licensing perspective. But how significant that impact will be depends on several factors, including possibly the outcome of the trade talks between the EU and the UK. And I suppose, though, with payment services specifically in mind, um, the availability of regulatory measures to smooth out any day one cliff edge will be key amongst providers in the industry. Okay, well, let's take the first of those then. So, I mean, at the time of recording, the negotiations are still going on. Uh, Do you think that getting a trade deal would really make that much difference for payment services or or actually financial services more generally? Yeah, so unfortunately, I think the answer to that is no, not really. Um, Given where we are in the political process and the positions of the two sides, we know that even if a deal is made, it won't really include too much which directly covers financial services. And certainly, it's highly unlikely that it'll be anything close to the current passporting framework that we have now, which allows UK payment service providers relatively easy access to provide their services across the EEA, as well as European payment service providers relatively easily um, to be able to provide their services into the UK. So for financial services more generally, there is a school of thought that reaching a deal, in fact, any deal, might help to encourage the EU and UK to treat each other as having, quote, equivalent rules in certain areas. But this clearly would just not replicate the level of passporting rights that we have now, even if it would be helpful in certain areas, such as in other walks of life um, in relation to share trading. But I think this would all be a bit of cold comfort for the payments and e-money institutions, because no equivalence regimes currently exist under the Payment Services Directive or the e-money directive. So unfortunately for these firms, a licensing cliff edge really does loom at the end of the year when passport rights between the UK and the EU will disappear. So no passport, no equivalence, and it sounds like low expectations from a trade deal. Jean, is there any help available for firms that are facing that cliff edge? Thanks, Simon. Well, of course, the big one is the UK's uh, temporary permissions regime, which is available to EEA firms which currently passport into the UK. So what the UK government and the regulators did was they set up this regime which treats firms which currently passport into the UK at the end of the transition period as if they were UK authorised for a temporary period. And that temporary period is, is up to three years. So effectively it's a one-way extension of the passporting regime for those passporting into the uk 
So what does this mean and what do people need to do things by? Well, for people who've already notified that they're going to rely on the temporary um, permissions regime, you don't need to do anything. If you've already notified, you're done. For those that haven't, if you're an EA firm and you want to participate in the regime so that you can still provide services into the UK, you need to notify the FCA of your intention to do so before the 30th of December, which um, frighteningly isn't actually that far away now. OK, so that's the UK's approach. Is there a similar scheme in the EU that UK firms can take advantage of? Um, sadly not. Um, as Paul mentioned, there's no equivalence for payments and there's no equivalent EU-wide regime for UK firms passporting into the EU um, or any member state equivalents for that matter. So in terms of what that means for UK firms offering payment services into the EU, it means a significant cliff edge. Um, you're not going to be able to provide services from the UK into the EA unless you're appropriately licensed in every member state where you want to do business. Um, you know, some firms have taken this as an opportunity to set up a new central hub in one of the European jurisdictions and to then rely on the EU passports out of that. Um, but for those that haven't, there's a big risk that UK firms will just have to cut off their EEA customers at the end of the year. Um, and that sort of brings us back to the warning letter that the FCA sent to payment services firms in the summer. So one of the things on their list of potential, potential customer harm was the impact of Brexit and specifically on deciding on the approach firms are going to take to servicing their existing EA customers. So these are people who are already signed up with you already using your services. Um, according to the FCA, and this is a quote from them, in many cases, it would be a poor outcome for your customer if you suddenly stopped servicing them. Um, Obviously, the key word there is suddenly. If you're not set up with licenses to carry on certain services, you should be already communicating with your customers about what happens next and, you know, the steps they need to take to enable them to access those services, either from another entity of yours in Europe or a completely separate third party. Harry, what work have we been doing for our payments clients to help them prepare for Brexit? Well, Simon, there's been a steady stream of license related work that involves looking at what your business does, where it does it, which individuals are involved, etc. And then thinking through the implications where those services are provided across the channel into the EU. Certainly in recent weeks, there has been an uptick in firms coming to us wanting to stress test their Brexit plans. And related to what Jean was talking about, we have had questions about the temporary permissions regime, the process for entering into it, and more significantly, what rules apply while you are in that regime as well as thinking further ahead, what exiting from the regime looks like. There have been some interesting questions around SEPA. For those who don't know, SEPA is a scheme run by the European Payments Council for payment transactions in euros. SEPA participants do not have to be located in the EU, and SEPA has confirmed that the UK will continue to be a member after the end of the transition period, which is good news for many payment providers. But there are still quirks of being a non-EU participant of SEPA, including changes to the information you need to provide about payment transactions, and we're working through these with some of our clients. And finally, there are changes to UK law and regulation, which will happen at the end of the transition period. This will impact even those firms who do not passport in or out of the UK. The UK is copying and pasting swathes of, UK, of EU law into UK law and then making changes to it so that it works post-Brexit. A good example in the payments context 
is the regulation which sets out rules on strong customer authentication. This falls away at the end of the transition period, but is being replaced by a broadly similar UK-specific regime. It's been a busy autumn with several big initiatives being announced. Perhaps could I ask each of you to flag one item that has caught your eye recently? Um, yeah, well, for me, uh, it's an interesting after all of our talk about Brexit. Um, the EU has published its retail payment strategy, and this is of interest to a number of our clients who are still actually going to be operating in the EU from hubs there. Um, the paper is interesting of itself. I mean, as you would expect, it's got the typical um, EU language from that you have come to expect from strategy papers. It's all about innovation, integration, digitalization, um, all of that good stuff. But actually, when you get down into the detail of the measures, there are some potentially very interesting developments that are in the pipeline. So, for example, they're looking at possibly extending the scope of settlement finality directive to cover e-money and payment institutions. Um, they're also considering aligning the electronic money directive, the second one, with the second payment services directive so that the issuance of e-money is included as a payment service under um, the payment services directive. I mean, in the UK, certainly everything seems to run on um, payment services rails anyway. The the electronic money legislation is very light in comparison because it cross refers mostly to payment services regulations. Um, there's also plans to develop an EU wide um, open finance regime. And that's the thing that goes beyond open banking. This is bringing in everything from credit, mortgages, um, investments, general insurance, it's pushing open banking out into the whole of the financial services sector. And that's something that we're quite familiar with with the FCA because they've been looking at that for actually quite some time as to how you build out on the um, successes of open banking. Um, and I suppose the last thing I bring raise on that is that they're also looking to do um, a comprehensive review of payment services directive two um, so we'll probably have proposals for a payment services directive three so something for us payments people to look forward there and keep us in work going forwards actually on the same day that retail payment strategy came out the european commission also published a digital finance strategy this included a draft regulation on markets in crypto assets otherwise known now as mika the aim of Mika is to plug some perceived gaps in the way that crypto assets are regulated and create for the first time an EU-wide approach in this area. There's a very broad definition of crypto asset as a digital representation of value or rights, which may be transferred or stored electronically, whether or not it relies on blockchain technology. There are interesting prospectus type requirements for these assets, which include having a white paper that meets certain requirements and sending it to the regulator before publication. It would also require providers of crypto asset services in the EU, such as crypto custodians, traders or exchanges to be authorized. But there's a carrot here, which is that once authorized, they could passport those services throughout the EU. Also, there are conduct of business requirements uh, embedded throughout all of uh, Mika, which broadly speaking, replicate a lot of what MIFID was all about. Just to finish, I should also emphasize that this is just a draft and it has to work its way through the EU legislative process before it would start to apply, possibly in 2024. But definitely one to watch and it'll be interesting to see how the UK chooses to respond post-Brexit. Thanks, Harry.
Um, and actually, if I may, I might cheat slightly because there have been a couple of things that I want to mention that I've been following um, over the autumn. The first has been the activity with the payment systems regulator. Uh, and first of all, they've, they've been doing quite a lot in terms of trying to set a new future strategy for themselves. And it'll be interesting to see where they come out on that. But in particular, they've also been working closely with the FCA on access to cash, including addressing issues that have arisen during the COVID-19 pandemic. And again, it will be interesting to see where they, together with other stakeholders, come out on future access to cash as a whole. The second thing I wanted to flag is that there's been a lot of attention on central bank digital currencies recently. Andrew Bailey, formerly of the FCA, but now governor of the Bank of England, gave a speech where he considered the monetary and financial stability implications of the Bank of England potentially allowing general access to central bank money in digital form. And where we currently are is that the bank is considering responses to a discussion paper that it put out on this topic earlier in the year. And it's going to come back to us, we assume, at some point next year with its conclusions on that and with recommendations for next steps. Thanks very much, Paul. And if you are interested in reading more about uh, CBDCs and central bank digital currencies generally, then do check out uh, the Linklater's FinTech Links blog because uh, we've been blogging about uh, those there recently. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can tweet at Linklaters Tech or email fintech.podcast at linklaters.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.